Well, today we're kind of uh, stepping out of just kind of going through uh, the Bible. We finished off the book of Genesis uh, last time, and today we kind of pause and we kind of just kind of pause. <laughs> and we reflect on what we have learned so far and under one kind of main heading. This is kind of one of the things we'll do with the Gospel Project is, is there will be uh, every five to six weeks this pause where we stop for really what, for lack of a better term, a theological reflection uh, on the God that we are encountering in Scripture. And so today we are talking about the God of providence, the God of providence. We're going to look at three main passages today, so let's stand and we'll read these uh, three passages and then we'll get into this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Then Psalm 103, 15 to 19. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Matthew chapter 6, starting in 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, thank you that today we can stop, we can pause, we can think over the God who, 
We, we have experienced in the book of Genesis the creator, the redeemer, the, the protector, the provider, the one who calls, the one who, who watches over, the one who redeems even the hard things in our lives for your glory and our good. And so, Lord, today we look to the God of providence, the God who provides, the God who rules over all, and we rest in this. Thank you for your word to us, in Jesus' name, amen. So providence, it's kind of not, not a word we use in everyday conversation, right? So how's it going today? Well, it's just, you know, it's a providential kind of thing. Really? It's not, not a word we use. It, it, it comes from a Latin word that basically means uh, to, to see to it, uh, to actively engage in providing something that's needed. And so when we talk about the God of providence, we're talking about a God who takes active interest in our lives. Uh, Millard Erickson in his uh, Christian theology, about a good 800, every systematic theology has a complete chapter on providence. And so one sermon isn't going to do it. But this, this one quote, I think this defines it well. Uh, Millard Erickson uh, from his... Uh, Christian theology, the continuing action of God by which he preserves in existence the creation he has brought into being and guides it to his intended purpose for it. A lot of important things are the continuing action of God. Jesus said in, in, in John, my father's working to this day and I too am working. It's an ongoing thing. God didn't go hands-off on day seven and never get involved in the world again. He didn't just kind of throw creation into existence and go, well, let's see how that works out. He's, he's continually involved. He preserves our existence. And he guides it to his intended purposes. As we're going to see, creation is not self-sufficient. It is dependent on the ongoing work of God to exist. And as such, we are not self-sufficient. We are dependent on the God who sustains everything by his hand. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to touch on these, these few passages this morning. Colossians chapter 1 basically tells us that the Lord's hand holds together all of creation. Look at that again. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him. So it's by him. So there's the agency. All things are created through him. God created all but it's not just that he was the agent of creation, he's also the purpose of creation. All things were created for him, for his glory. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. If God ceased holding our world together, we would fly apart. If God ceased being actively involved, everything ceases to exist. He is before all things, 
in him all things hold together. And this passage tells us right off the bat in verse 15, he, this is talking about Jesus Christ, God made flesh. Uh, the, the word made flesh, John chapter one. He is the image of the invisible God. And this kind of recalls Genesis chapter one, right? God created humanity in his own image and likeness to represent him and, and to act as he acts in the world. He, here Paul is saying, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the likeness, the representation. The uh, Hebrews tells us he is the exact imprint of who God is. That this is one, uh, John chapter one, first uh, Corinthians chapter one, one of the most solid passages for the divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't just some guy that was smart and that God worked through. Jesus was God himself in the flesh working on earth. He is the firstborn. Now, this doesn't mean that he didn't exist and then he, that he was the first act of God's creation. This is a place of status, a place of privilege. He is the inheritor of everything. He is over all and in all and through all and all things were created for him. And this, this has to, and when we talk about providence, it's not just about what God does for us, but what the glory that God reveals through all that he has made. Jesus is the cause. Jesus is the agent through him. Jesus is the purpose. It is for him. He is the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the purpose of all, and the redeemer of all. A few other Verses to look up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Take some time and read this, read this one slowly and, and notice the prepositions. Notice the joining words. For us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Existence and meaning and purpose come from him and for him and through him. Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking in the city of Athens, addressing philosophers of the day in verse 24 and 25. He declares this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God's act, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need the world. God's, God 
God is glorified in and through the world. He created the world. He created us for relationship with him, but none of that came out of a need in God. It came out of his desire and his love. God does not create out of need, but by his nature of giving. He gave He gives to all mankind life and breath, everything. The Lord's hand holds together all of creation. Revelation 4.11. Before the throne of God is this song that is sung. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. How many of you remember a song we used to sing based on this? Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory Glory and power, glory and honor and strength. For thou hast created, hast all things created. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, They are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. The Lord's hand holds all of creation together and he is worthy of all glory and honor and might and strength and our love and our devotion because he is worthy. God the Son was always there through all eternity and in every moment of creation. So as our Redeemer, we know that he is still there for us and will never leave us. Our very existence depends on his existence. And our fragile state is held together by his perfect loving power. One day, our triune God who created all things will make all things new, Revelation 21 and 22. And he is providentially moving all of history toward that day. Psalm 103. It's a great psalm. Actually, you could spend, I could probably spend five or six weeks just in this this psalm. It talks about God's love and his redemption and his works of righteousness and the forgiveness that he provides to us. But then we get in these few verses we read this morning, the frailty that is us and the steadfastness that is God. And the Lord's hand rules over all in righteousness. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And this is what Jesus came to announce and Jesus came to inaugurate in a new and a marvelous way as the Messiah. I have come to announce the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom is at hand, was Jesus' first and continuing message. 
He was inaugurating and showing us through his ministry what the kingdom of God looks like in every miracle, in every parable, in everything he did, and going to the cross and dying for sin and rising again, he said, here is what the kingdom is all about. This is what it looks like. And boy, it, 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 it took the disciples a little while to get this, didn't it? Because they're like, oh, the, the kingdom looks like, like we get political power. And, and we, get to, we get to stand up and tell everybody else in the world what to do. And Jesus is saying, you know what it really looks like? It looks like serving. And it looks like suffering for others. And, 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 and it looks like washing somebody's feet. And it looks like providing bread for the hungry. It looks like touching a leper in his uncleanness. It looks like meeting a broken woman at a well in the middle of the day and offering her living water. It looks a whole lot more like sacrifice than it does power. And when even after the resurrection, the disciples are like, okay, now, now are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Now are we going to kick out the Romans? Now are we going to get in charge again? Let's do this. We got swords. We're ready to go. Let's fight, fight, fight. Jesus is like, that's it. I'm out. (laughs) He's like, you guys, you guys, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be so radically changed. You're going to abandon that because that is so small a goal to have political power and advantage in this world. So small a goal. God's rule is radically different. You know, the Psalms contrast the fleeting, fragile nature of our lives and the never-ending covenant that God's love has toward us. Listen to that again. The steadfast love, this covenant, I am going to stick with you no matter what, from everlasting to everlasting. For those who fear him, those who come under, those who submit, those who surrender to him, His righteousness to children's children, it's going to keep going to those who keep his covenant, who who are committed to the relationship with God. And remember to live it out. And God has established his throne and he rules over all. You know, the, the, the first part, we like to skip this first verse, 15, really quick, don't we? Verse 15 and 16, because we really don't like to think about or admit our fragility and the temporalness of our lives. We arrange our lives to appear strong in control and stable, but we're anything but that. You know, it, it amazes me when, 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 uh, how most people express their hopes in eternal life regardless of the fact that they claim not to believe in God or religion and that we're just simply a product of chance and evolution, a highly advanced animal, there's always this, you know, when somebody passes away, it's like, well, they're in a better place now. Or or they're back with, you know, uh, grandma and grandpa. Or, you know, full-on atheists will say that stuff to their kids to comfort them in grief and loss because there's just this something in our hearts that says this isn't it. There's more to life. There's more to my existence than this blip in history. 
Because when you look at history, I mean, even just 2,000 years, think of your lifespan, maybe 70, 80 years, the psalmist says. And we're living maybe into our 90s now. But still, it's just a blip. It goes by so fast. We're desperate for the eternal. Desperate for the eternal. What, I mean, if there's anything that sets us apart as, as human beings from the rest of creation, it is we are so desperate for the eternal. We're not just hormones and glands and need to breed, need to feed. God's created us so much more than that. Ecclesiastes says he has set eternity into our hearts. We're desperate for more. But we don't like this. You know, but it's something we have to embrace. Our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower in the field. The wind passes over and it's gone and its place is no more. I don't know. Maybe it's because I turned 50 this year. I'm starting to think more about this stuff. Like, what's going to be, what, you know, there's, there's the, the rear view mirrors showing me more than the, the, what's coming through the windshield. Anyway, we have such a brief time on earth in this life. How much can any one of us understand the vast breadth of what God has done and, and his rule and his care for us? His under, our, our understanding is also that limited too. You know, I think it's uh, Augustine who said, our hearts are restless within us until we find our rest in you. We have this desperate need. The Lord's hand rules over all in righteousness. We have such a brief time on earth. And I know this always raises big questions because if God's ruling over all, like it says here, and, and we can read this in passage after passage about God's sustaining, ruling, loving uh, role over our lives. Why is our world so broken and restless? And I like how Jesus kind of answers this. The kingdom is coming, but it's not here yet. And in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world and I will one day make all things new, but this world we're living in here and now we don't get all the answers that we wish we would. You know, the book of Job is all about this. And Job's complaint in his suffering questions God's rule over creation in righteousness. But what is God's response to that? Where were you when I made this? Where were you when I designed the hippopotamus. Where were you when I planted that tree that grows and bears a seed and it falls and another seed and it, it keeps going? Where, where were you when I formed all of the complexity that you can see just on earth? Where were you when I made the heavens, the stars, and put everything in its place? And Job's response after God kind of just says, hey, we're, we're kind of playing on a different level here. 
Job's response is, I've heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I repent in dust and ashes. And here's a man that was acclaimed by God to be, to be faultless, who went through horrible stuff in his life, who then experienced God, and in the experience of God, recognized his place and said, I just need to submit myself to who God is and stop the questions. And stop the questions and just say, you are God, there is no other, and I repent. I, I turn my life around toward you. The Lord's hand holds all of creation together and he rules over all in righteousness. And then Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 24, the Lord's hand provides all we need. I love reading those two first two passages and then going right to Matthew 25, uh, 6, 25, because you get, you know, he, he's, all things are made through him and for him and by him, and he holds all things together, and the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> like, like, because of who God is, because of his ruling, because of his love for us, because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of all, be anxious for nothing, and that's repeated three times in the passage. Be anxious for not, about nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. Jesus is here, and then he goes, he gives some illustrations, right? He's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, birds. I, I remember when I first memorized the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I have it memorized in the NIV. That's why I have a hard time reading it in the ESV. I memorized it in an afternoon, after uh, I had come back from summer holidays actually here, and uh, uh, my cousin Alan was memorizing the Sermon on the Mount for his uh, Shield of Christ, I believe. And he was, uh, we were at the golf station uh, right by Happy Days. There's that empty lot. There used to be a golf gas station there. Uh, but we were memorizing this together and acting it out. And it was like, look at the birds of the air. No, no, the birds of the air, look there. Look to the birds of the air. Actually, go find a bird and look at it. It doesn't labor or, or it, it doesn't harvest. It doesn't build barns. It, yet your heavenly father feeds them. This is like the most, you know, the frail, fragile robin gets food. And we see this in our, you know, we, we got this bush outside of our, our front, front door and it's got these birds that come and they pick the fruit off of that tree in fall and then they move on. God, God's taking care of them. You see that all over creation. God taking care of his creation. And their food and their migration patterns and all this stuff. And, and he's, he's talking like, take the smallest thing that you can imagine and God's looking after it. Are you not much more valuable than that? And, and, and you know, take a look. This is a fake tree, but it's looking pretty good. But, but just go out and look at the, at the trees and the, and the leaves, and, and especially in the spring on, the, on our hillsides, there's all these flowers, these wildflowers come out. And, you know, God's clothing and, and beautifying the creation around us in marvelous ways, and yet it's, it's gone. Like, we have fall for what, like a week here? But it's got this cycle of life and death, and he's like, 
Okay, look at that. Just, just look at that for a moment. See how frail and fragile it is? But God makes it so beautiful. So, so beautiful. And are you not more valuable than that? If God cares for the feeding and the clothing of the smallest bird and the flower of the field, how much more you and me? Now, the question is not whether, you know, whether or not we should provide for our families or ourselves. The real question is, what is the focus of your life then? This is what Jesus is driving at. The anxiety Jesus addresses here is the complete self-focus of humanity. Everybody else is worried about, you know, ah, the road's closed, better go buy all the milk. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a pandemic, better go buy all the toilet paper. You know, can we just relax for a moment? We're so short-sighted that Jesus is asking us to see our lives in relation to the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All this stuff will be provided for you. He knows you need it. If we pursue the creator, he is already providing all the life we need. You know, in John's gospel, all the I am saying point to the way in which we we find all that we need in him. Jesus says, I am the living water that you're seeking. The thirst for belonging and freedom comes from me. I'm the light that dispels your darkness. I'm the bread of life that fills your deepest hunger. I'm the way when you're lost. I'm the truth that you're seeking. I'm the life that you need. I'm the resurrection and the life that defeats the power of sin and death. All that we deeply long for is provided in who Jesus is in himself. Our deepest desires are met in him. He provides all we need. Again, from St. Augustine writing in the first couple centuries of church history, says this, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So how does this affect our thinking and our feeling and our doing, our head, our heart, our hands? First question, how does God's sovereignty shape your understanding of his providence? Quick review, Genesis chapter one, God said and it happened and God saw that it was good. He is a good creator. Genesis three, God called out, where are you? God pursued relationship with his broken, disobedient people and he promised that a coming one who would destroy the serpent and bring us back to himself. And he provided skins to clothe our nakedness. Genesis 4, God confronts Cain and his, his, his wicked intentions and challenges him. Genesis 6 to 8, God called Noah, God instructed him, God preserved. Genesis 12, God commissioned Abraham, directed him, promised him that he would bless him and that through him all nations would be blessed. In Genesis 22, God provided, God sought to it, a ram in the place of Isaac. In Genesis 32, God wrestles, God wounds, and God transforms for his purposes. Genesis 37 to 50, God sins, he protects, and he redeems evil done. Genesis is all about the action of God over and over and over. Meditate on that this week. How does his sovereignty shape your understanding of his providence?
providence. <clears throat> and then our hearts. Question here is, how will you strive for peace in temptations and trials, knowing God is providentially working for your good? Now, first of all, I don't like the way they said this, so I'm going to tr translate this into a different way. Here's my question. How can knowing God's providential work for you, for your good, lead you to rest in peace in the midst of temptations and trials? Because you can't strive for peace. I'm sorry, that's like an oxymoron in my world. I was like, I read that, and I'm like, Gospel Project people, really? Come on, I'm going to send you an email. You can't strive for peace. And in fact, the, the, you know, the, the, the verse we often like to quote, be still and know that I am God, is actually an imperative. It's stop trying so hard and know that I am God. Cease striving. Cease striving. So how can knowing that God is providentially working all things for good to those who love him called according to his purpose, Romans chapter 8, how does that lead us to rest and peace in the midst of a world that's just topsy-turvy? Ultimately, God's providence and his active work to bring glory to his name and joy to his people helps us put our lives and our experience and even world history into perspective. Isaiah 55, 12 to 13, a basic sense there is the name and the reputation of the Lord is bringing, brings joy to his people as we experience his redemptive work. Habakkuk chapter 3, 7 to 18, that the rejoicing in God's purposes and providence is not limited to experiences blessing, but centers on him. We rejoice in him. In, in Habakkuk, he ends this thing and he says, even though the fig tree does not blossom, though there's no fruit on the vine, and though everything's going bad, still I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Even though everything's fallen apart, I still rejoice in who God is. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And here's another level we don't often hear about, but... Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. I had to mark it because finding Zephaniah is tricky. Verse 17 in chapter 3, listen to this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God rejoices in us. God finds pleasure in us. It fills him with gladness that we are his. John Piper just recently released a book. If you really want to dig into Providence, get this book. It's about 800 pages long, and it's just called Providence. So I'm doing it in one sermon. He did it in 800 pages. It's a great book. I haven't read it all. I've got about 150 pages into it. It's like, wow, this is incredible. But he says this. I think this is great. God does not intend for us to look at the world he has made and feel nothing. When the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1, he does not mean this only for the clarification of our theology. He means it 
for the exaltation of our souls. God rejoices over us with gladness. He exalts over us with loud singing. And as we look at creation, we should do the same. What God has done and all that God is and who he is and what he has created should fill us with absolute joy and wonder and worship. It should move our hearts every day. Last question, what are some of the ways you will live out God's calling to be a good steward and neighbor in the light of God's providence? Think of it this way, because God has and is providing all we need in Christ, we have been given a stewardship for our lives, not ownership. We've been given the stewardship of our lives and the blessings he's given us, not ownership. We don't get to call the shots. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. Everything you are. You know, when God called Abraham, Genesis 12, he didn't call him just to say, hey, I'm going to call you, I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be awesome. I'm going to bless you. He says, I'm going to call you and bless you so you can be a blessing to others, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because God's calling and his blessing was to bless others. God's calling on each one of us is not simply to save us, but to live a life that blesses those around us, provides for us so that we can provide for others. And so God's providence in our lives, what he's given us, is a stewardship. However many talents he's given you, don't go and bury it. Invest it for the kingdom. Because there will come a day when he shows up and says, so what have you done with everything I gave you? And everything is everything. The time you've had, the treasure you've had, the finances you've had, the, 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 the gifts to serve in, in the community or the church or, or your, your kids, your grandkids, your parents. How are you investing your life for the kingdom? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the stuff He's already providing for, and it's yours. We've been given a stewardship. Every one of our lives has been given as a gift. Not to own it, but to steward it for him and his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are the great king of kings, the Lord of lords that you are the creator who made this amazing universe that we just can't understand how it all works, no matter how hard we try. It's just amazing and it's complex and it's wonderful and it points to you that all things were made through you and for you and in you all things hold together. Oh, Lord, may we never lose a sense of wonder and worship as we look at the world around us. Thank you for the lives you've given each one of us. And Lord, as we consider the fact that you have given our lives to us to steward for your kingdom and to bless others, help us to see how we can do that best with what you've given us. 
Lord, thank you that you are ultimately working for the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, that in this world we have trouble, but you have overcome the world. And there will continue to be pain and heartache and disappointment this side of the new creation. The Lord, keep us restless until we find our rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Benediction is from Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called as one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Have a great week.